Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. On the show this week is Connor Murphy, the CEO of Bridge. I met Connor at a Techstars event in Dublin in 2019, as he was just getting his latest venture off the ground in Bridge. And I started using the Bridge app within seconds of meeting him to help me bridge my network. Connor Murphy is an all-around good guy. And in every conversation I have with him, I end up connecting way more dots than I ever could have expected in generally what is a 30-minute conversation. Connor has a background in computer science, startups, venture capital, and management consulting. He was previously the managing director of the Techstars SAP.io program in Berlin, and he has invested in 30 pre-seed technology ventures that have an enterprise value greater than $1 billion. The undercurrent for all of this was Connor's founding of Datahug back in 2009, a collaborative forecasting and pipeline management solution that he sold to Calidus Cloud, now owned by SAP, back in 2013. In this episode, Connor and I riff on his Datahug founder experience, his experience with investing through Techstars, and now his role as CEO of Bridge, and how all of these experiences are linked by the common threads of building relationships, trust as a currency, and kicking your network into hyperdrive. We also talked through some of his time-tested lessons learned from his time as a startup founder and investor that helped to inform his path and that of the founders he's invested in. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. But listen, you know, so just looking at some of the history here between us, Connor, was September 2019, I look back and saw when it was that we met. And it was in Dublin at Huckletree. And it was a Techstars event where Chris Adelsback was in Dublin. He was helping with a handover to Cardiac Varma, or KV, as we know him. Shout out to KV. And to Chris, yeah. obviously, as well. And Martin Cass was hanging out. And Daniel Loftus from Urban Fox was there. And I was talking to Chris. And he showed me, Bridge, your app. Oh, wow. And then he called you over. And I was hooked. That was, for me, quite a seminal moment because I love making intros, and that was quite a unique way to do it, and it was really helpful. So that was the first point. And then, obviously, when I jumped in to lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator, that you were one of the first people I spoke with. And what did you do during that call? Do you remember? Made you some did. Bridges. You did about 12. <laughs> I went back and counted. You fired off 12 oh, bridge wow. intros for me. So. Yeah. I want to dig into this and that, you know, you really helped me get going with intros to mentors, investors, other interesting people when I jumped in. So it would be great to have you probably just walk us through a little bit of your backstory in whistle-stop tour fashion from your data hug experience, your time at Techstars, now Bridge, and just bring us up to speed a bit with with your story. Yeah, awesome to be reminded of that. And like the thing with intros is they're usually things that people do and forget about and are invisible. But actually, it's for me, it's the glue that builds all of our networks. So like if I actually go back and I ask people, like engineers in particular can be very skeptical about networks and connections and they can see it as something that's kind of like uh, sleazy. They picture someone at a, at a networking event with business cards of maybe a salesperson doing this and handing them out the whole time. But actually, I asked them to think, well, how did you meet your wife? How did you meet your co-founder? How did you meet your friends? How did you meet? And it's usually there's a network component to a lot of those answers. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And it's this hidden hand, you know, they talk about the hidden hand of the economy, but the hidden hidden hand of your whole life is actually these networks and these serendipitous moments and these connections. And for me, I think, 
you know, growing up in Ireland, you know, I just remember like earliest memories being in my granny's house and they're on my mom and they're all visiting and they're always chatting. Do you know, do you know Chris Adelsbeck? Yeah, I remember Chris, he's married to Susan and Susan. And it's just this Irish like natural ancestry.com of how everyone knows everyone and where they are and all that kind of stuff. And it just seemed quite normal to me. And then when I started my career, my background's in computer science. I remember going over, I, I arrived in London and I joined a big management consultancy firm there. And I just presumed everyone knew everyone as well. Like, you know what I mean? And you'd be asking in English, be like, what are you talking about? And actually, when you asked those questions, there was those connections were there. And then I moved to the US and I started the exact same thing. I'd be like, oh, where are you from, Virginia? I'd be like, oh, go Cavaliers. And they'd be like, how do you know that? And I'd be like, I just know one random fact. And just chatting to them like, where do you go? Do you know, do you know, Tyler and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, how the hell? Yes, I do. How do I know it? And for me, I've always seen the world as this really small interconnected thing, even there are seven or eight billion of us. And I've always had this curiosity to figure out those connections between people, because I find when I meet someone early on, like we met through Chris, instantly I trust Chris and you trust Chris. And that gets transferred to two of us and straight away, if Chris just says you're a good guy and I'm a good guy, because we both trust Chris, it's all, it, it shortcuts probably three, six months, years yeah. of relationships and qualification. And we just straight, we have a connection. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do 12 intros for you in the next meeting because you're already vetted and by someone in my network. So trust is actually the currency of relationships. And the easiest way to leverage that trust is to tap into a trusted network and someone usually in between who's vetted and connected you. So that's how I've always seen it. And then when I started applying that to my day job, there was no technology that kind of mapped to how I saw the world and how I think the world really works. It's connections one-on-one. It's not like, you know, in sales, we'd always be looking at, and I started my career in management consulting and then going through the ranks and then going towards partner. And you start going these journeys where you want to sell something and you have to develop a client. And I'm like, okay, how do I get into Pfizer? And then it's, it's not Pfizer. How do I find the Chris Adels back at Pfizer? You know, how do I find the Martin Cass at Pfizer? And it's actually people to people. And, you know, so it was trying to find that. And then I got into the world of CRMs. And I, I saw that we had all these CRMs. We had all these different spreadsheets. And they're all fragmented all over the world. I had thousands of colleagues all over the world doing amazing stuff. But nowhere could I find out who in my network knew that person at Pfizer. Checked LinkedIn, checked other solutions. But what I also realized is that where this is kind of how Datahug was born was, well, actually nonstop, I looked around and every single person in the office was on email or at the time BlackBerry or whatever else. And they're always communicating. They're always on calls. They're always in calendar. They're always meeting people. So the data for our network was actually all sitting there. So the insight with Datahug was, and we'd hug your data, was that we would look at all the communications within a company and instantly see who everyone in the company is communicating with not looking at what you wrote down, because equally, when I saw the data in a CRM, it would never would write down Chris Adelsback is a dick. Like, you know, and he isn't, he's no. awesome. But you'd never write down that. You'd say, like, Chris is an opportunity worth $100,000, yes. blah, blah, blah. But you'd also never say, like, you know, never, never mention Martin Cass when you're talking to him because they hate each other. You'd, like, that stuff never gets written down. And also the senior people, the more senior people in unstructured sales environment, let's say partners at KPMG, at Deloitte, all these places, they never write down the notes anyway. So they've got all these high, they spend all their time building relationships, all the time communicating and answering, you know, jumping on calls, having meetings, interacting, but never recording it or writing it down. And it's all this unstructured data. So Dado came along, analyzed all the emails, the phone calls, the calendars, not to look at what we're talking about, because we think that's a lot of BS and you're all like being polite and everything else. It's just who interacting with who. So I could see who at Pfizer not only knows Chris Adels back, 
but actually it looks like uh, Martin has had you know, 96 emails with him over the last two years and 14 calendar meetings and 17 hours of phone calls. So that would become a relationship score, which would then be like, wow, who will I call first? Because maybe 17 colleagues know Chris. I'd go to Martin straight away. Or I'd go to Susan. She might have a very low relationship score, but she actually has something to calendar within three weeks from now. So she's got some recency bias as well. So it just helped me triangulate really fast. No one in the organization had to change anything they were doing. And it would just mine all this. And it would fix the biggest problem in CRM, which is you buy this shiny new car, you spend a few million dollars on Salesforce. Everyone's excited. There's a big rollout. Three months later, there's no data in it. It's cricket. So it's a car without fuel. But the fuel is sitting here inside all those emails, calendars, and everything. That was the insight. And that's what we built. And that was DataHug. And then DataHug was, to the day, a seven-year journey. When we sold it, it's now part of SAP and it powers a lot of their CRM. We raised money from Salesforce and a few others. And there was a whole first-time founder journey there. Made a lot of mistakes, possibly every mistake you could possibly do. But we still managed to get to an exit and build something of value despite all of the things we did wrong. That kind of helped me, as I said to founders, I can kind of help you get to Series A and how, how to avoid all of the mistakes I made is probably what I, what I would do as a mentor rather than knowing how to get Series B, Series C and beyond. Um, and that's what attracted me to Techstars when I moved to Berlin. Uh, I started mentoring there, I became an EIR there, became a managing director there, and then became a venture partner there, where I was actually coaching other MDs as well, which I absolutely love because that could be more scale as well. But again, the energy and the idea around DataHug hadn't, we'd unlocked a part of it for internal for companies, but then the idea for Bridge was, and it sounds like we started with something smaller with intros, and I can talk about why we started with intros, it's the same vision that this network exists and there's a better LinkedIn out there and it should be built on relationships and relationship scores and that it should be more peer-to-peer -peer because relationships don't care that Chris is at Pfizer because Chris moves. The relationships are Chris. So I want to share with Chris, Chris can share with me and we can collaborate no matter where we are in the world. And particularly as, as everything's accelerated with remote working and you being in Dublin, me now being in Switzerland, people moving around, moving yeah. companies, that's just increasing more and more. How can I see my network and access my network in a way when I browse the web? So we talk about building Google for people. Where Google has indexed the world's information, we want to index and organize the world's relationships and bring the two of them together and ultimately add a whole new layer to the internet. So when you're browsing a website, you can see all the information that Google has given you and the website's given you, but you can see all the information from your network that they know about that website or that person. So you can tap into that the same way if I'm looking at a restaurant or if I'm looking at some Amazon, I read reviews. If I'm on that website, I can see Chris knows someone there. And I haven't spoken to Chris in five years. It's a great excuse to reach out to Chris. Like, hey, Chris, I'm looking at this tax accountant. You seem to have a lot of connections to them. Do you, are you a customer? Do you recommend them? And I actually did that example last week with someone, Alex Tang, who I hadn't spoken to in five years. And he told me, I love this accountancy firm. They're brilliant. Here's how much I paid them. Let me introduce you to the CEO. And I instantly saved myself hours in terms of research. So it wasn't even an intro. It was he saved me hours in terms of research and who my tax accountant should be and saved me thousands of dollars as well. And instantly, like the way Chris gave us trust when we first met, I, I, when I contacted them, I was like, I don't need the sales pitch. I just signed me the order number because someone I know who uses you vouched for you and I just want to buy your product right now. So it shortened their sales cycle as well, and it also shortened my research cycle and saved me $3,000, and I have a new tax accountant, and I can get back to doing what I love doing, which is not tax. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. It's a great product, and starting with that intro, you know, yeah. and the, the, going back to that Huckletree night, and then the 12 intros you fired off for me, I mean, I use it pretty much every day now at awesome. this stage. In that where 
I've got, even when I could just send an email, I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to put this through bridge so that I can keep track of all of my intros on bridge. You know, yeah. when someone sends me a forwardable email and says, can you introduce me to someone? I put that into bridge and I just do it through bridge. Yeah. Right. And so I, I use it in a couple of different ways. One, just when I need to do this double opt-in intro and intros, like you said, this trust is currency that where some people don't understand that they say, well, can, can you just introduce me to so-and-so? And I'm like, well, I've got to ask them first because they don't know who you are. And I need to make sure that they do want to talk to you. And this is especially true when it comes to introducing founders to investors, right? You know this. Yeah. And, and you're not, I, I actually, intro is even the wrong word. I've realized you're vouching for that person as well, which are. is massive. It's a vouch is what you're doing, you know? You are, you absolutely are. And so I, I use it that way to do this double opt-in where I say, hey, listen, here's so-and-so. They would like to talk to you. You know, I know them. I invested in them. And I think they're pretty good for this reason. Would you like an intro? And they have the right to say yes or no. Yep. And hopefully they say yes. And that then that will automatically connect the person who's asked me for the introduction to the person who will be, who will be getting that. So it, it, that's a really helpful way to do it. Also with people that I have a significant degree of trust with that where I can just fire off the cold ones almost sometimes yeah. and say, hey, just want to connect the two of you. We've talked about this separately offline that it would be helpful for the two of you to know each other. So please go nuts, you know, and go ahead. And then the best thing about it is that I get that little bit of feedback because there's that two week later feedback loop that automatically pings the people who I introduced that says, how was this intro for you? And I get that feedback. And Chris Adelsback was talking about this last year with us when he visited in Techstars when we were in London for the week with the Web3 cohort. And he said, those are all data points for him in seeing how the information comes back. Because when you're investing at an early stage, the only data points you really have are based around people yeah. for the most part. And you get that information and it's a way to gather that information. So it's a really, really useful tool for me. Was, That's awesome. Was, I know you've told this story before in my presence, but I wanted to dig in a bit in that you realized that th there was something missing, right? Like you just said a couple of minutes ago. Was that eating away at you in terms of your own professional, your day-to-day -day life? Because moving from the data hug, exiting that, fantastic, jumping into Techstars, doing that for a number of years, and then going to build bridge. Was there something that was happening to you during the Techstars experience where like, there just has to be an easier way to do this? Or was it just so well-formed from your time at DataHug that this was something you were eventually going to do after DataHug that it was always just lurking in the background? Yeah, and I think going back to like the DataHug experience, like uh, like that was unfinished business, I suppose. That's probably the, the, the starting yeah. point. So like the someone talks about people being serial entrepreneurs blah 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 and like oh it's your second startup i'm like mm, well i'm not i'm a i'm a singular uh, entrepreneur i have the exact same idea but i'm just you know the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different <laughs> outcomes so i'm going to go down the insane route here so it's it's like starting a startup is hard a lot of people want to do startups and for me i'm probably like there's the missionary or the mercenary kind of approach and i'm probably a missionary in this one this is just feels like it has to exist and it should be done better the second part of that is I'm a computer scientist, and that means 
I naturally think technology should solve a lot of these repetitive processes. And even just that intro flow we talked about, made those 12 intros for you, just that personally, like it's part of my value add and Techstars became a big part of my value add. It was, I describe our job at Techstars is I'm like an API plugging founders into a new network. Yeah. So typically we might meet these amazing founders who have the amazing domain experience. Like a lucky one of my founders was like, the, he was the CIO of HBO. Like he built streaming technology across the whole world, all that kind of stuff. Others are PhDs in you know, deep plastic regeneration, recycling, all the stuff I'll never be an expert in. But my job was to plug them in. And I think you know, you'd share this as well, Pete. Like our job is to find his mentors, put them around and plug them in. And we force that function at the start. And then for the next six, seven years, you're nonstop plugging them into more opportunities and more people as they have problems. So you're basically like this, this network on-ramp. And that's what Techstars, I think, does really well. It's like an API into an ecosystem or a vertical. So you either come to Dublin, your program, and you meet like loads of great mentors around there who are founders, investors, angels, but also people in the Web3 community, or in my case, was the AI machine learning SAP community in Berlin. So, so like, there's these kind of like flows around the world of energy and connections and networks. And obviously, you know, node zero is San Francisco and all routes kind of lead there eventually. But there's these on-ramps and these on and tech stars can be a great on-ramp and connectors as individuals can be these amazing on-ramps. And I realized that networks for me, I'm a visual person, are almost like a marketplace. And again, that sounds transactional and it's not in any way, it's just this is just how I see the graph, how I see the data. There's a demand side, people who want introductions and connections, and there's a supply side. And that's at some point in your career, at some point in your day, you're on the demand side. Early in your career on demand side, you need to build your network. You want to solve something, you want to sell something, you want to learn something. And then as you kind of are lucky enough to have built a network, you suddenly can see the world, how you can connect people together and be these shortcuts for people. And you can be a connector. And actually, when I started Data Hug, I was, you know, late 20s, early 30, you know, I was on the demand side. It's like, how do I build my network? How do I sell? How do I become partner to this firm? How do I get into Pfizer? How do I win these deals? And then as I kind of joined Techstars, it was probably like almost you know, 10 years later, I've gone through the whole venture washing machine of raising money and meeting all the VCs and learning the world of you know, all these things like cap tables, all of these things that were just alien to normal humans because you're doing your normal day job. And I suddenly had this expertise and this network and I was a connector. I was on the other side. And that's where we saw this opportunity where everyone attacks the networking side. And I did first with Datahug. But actually, if we attack this niche, small connector side, that, that became very clear to me towards the end of data hug. And then it became like every single day when it was a tech star, it was always like an air traffic controller, just like yeah. doing the same thing over and over again. And it's the same repetitive process, same flow. And I wanted to get rid of all the admin because just think of that very first phone call we had. If I was to do 12 intros for you and how we suit before, I'd take down a note of 12. I got to make these intros for you afterwards. Oh, yeah. Saturday morning, I wake up, I'm like, gosh, crap, I forgot to do the intros for Pete. I feel bad then and I feel sick. And then I send them over. To, then I have to send them over to you and, and remind you because you're like, how do you spell Chris Adels back? And you're like, I, I, you know, I blast out 12 names. You're gonna be like, what did he say? You're trying to take yeah. notes. So it was just, it was taking me hours as well to do this. And I had the Datahug experience and I could see well, also within Datahug, we're mining like billions of emails and phone calls and calendars and you'd see these super nodes. And these super nodes just loved, it's like the core value in Techstars I think was Give First, which also Give First and it was all about the power of the network, which just really aligned with who I was and what I believe in. But you'd see it in KPMG Deloitte, you'd see it in all these networks. There were these super nodes who were just super connectors. And mm -hmm. We never, like, Datahug could help you find those super connectors, 
but it couldn't help the super connector be more productive. So actually, we the bridge view was, well, actually, the most valuable people in any network are the connectors. If you can find those connectors, and Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in his book, The Tipping Point, he talks about the mavens, the salesperson, the connectors. If you can find those connectors, you can find those super routers into all these networks, into that on-ramp, into those flows or those networks that you want to get into. So I even learned at Techstars when I was going prospecting, the big part of Techstars is we spend nine months a year recruiting, trying to find founders. When I would go to Sofia or I would go to Madrid or I would go anywhere prospecting and looking for founders, I wouldn't try and meet founders. I would try and meet the connector in that mm. local ecosystem. I would try and yeah. find a Martin Cast or you, Pete, or I'd try and find Chris Adelsback. The Gene Murphy is a great example in Dublin, who's now in New York. You'd find, find those super connectors who are just give first, who love helping people. And you find one of them and you bring them for lunch and you build a relationship with them and they will send you deal flow for forever. So if you can tap into these connectors, it's just fantastic. And then, so bridges, let's make them productive. They're also, in my view, the hidden heroes of every network. They're the people who've changed my life, who I worked at Techstars, how I got into data, how I raised money. There's certain people who I keep seeing over and over again who when I'm not in the room, are thinking with me and dropping me intros and connecting me to other people. I don't even know this is happening, but it's changed my life like significantly. And I can map that back. So I've, yeah. seen, I've seen the power and magic of these connectors. They're hidden heroes. They're spending 5, 10, 15 minutes helping me in the middle of the week, you know, with nothing in it for them. So how can I make them more productive? That's step one. And step two is how can I make them more visible? So when I'm going to Madrid, I can find out who are the super connectors in Madrid. And they're typically not the most remunerated people, let's say in VC, like, you know, there's a person who can raise money from the LP and write the ultimate check. But that person who writes that small 2K check, 5K check might do 20, 30, 40 intros, which lead to $5 million round. So yeah. how can we celebrate them and put them on the map so that actually LPs are coming to them and say, I'll give you money. Let's just say in the venture world or in sales, I'll actually hire you as my VP of sales or I'll hire you as an advisor to my company. So how can we help these connectors not just be more efficient, but actually to be more recognized and to, for the world to understand better the value they're doing. They are the hidden force of the economy, of the world, of our lives. And how can we actually recognize and celebrate them? And if we can recognize and celebrate them, we can encourage more people as well to be more give first, to connect more people. And then the cycle just gets better and better. And then the final thing in a post AI world, like we're going to have more time for coffee, more time for calls. So actually you need to be able to tap and our network's getting more fragmented. How can we bring all that together? Yeah in a more natural, holistic way. And we, as humans, love nothing more than doing this and connecting and how are you getting on, how are the kids? Like, what, you know, what, any good restaurants I should go to? All those human things. If we can get rid of the admin around that and just focus on the relationship side of things, it just makes us all smarter, richer, wealthier, happier. And, and there's all the research around that that supports that. And I'll pause there because you could tell I could chat for hours about you, this. But it's such an obvious thing to me. But Techstars helped me see the other side of it, the connector side. And suddenly I could see the whole picture of the networker demand side and the connector supply side. And that allowed me to say, OK, I'm going to attack the market this time through connectors. Because if we own connectors, we own the most trusted people in the networks and they have the biggest distribution and we can maybe grow uh, from there. Well, you, you've just managed to pass two of my tests as a founder, Connor. Insane so, well and done. doesn't shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> two things. One, deep firsthand experience of the problem you're solving. You've you've felt the pain. Two, knowing your market inside and out, right? And yeah. and and knowing the the like you said, the tipping point. What is it that is going to make this something that will, you know, I, I'll use the word viral but something that people just come to depend on. And when it gets to the point where it was, I don't know, a year or two ago, you and I were chatting about this. And you were like, Pete, how much would you pay for this if we were to turn on the paywall? 
and I gave you a number and it came at a little bit north of that, but I still paid for it. And that's that's rude. Whatever the number is, add 30% is the advice you give our founders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, because I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I could live without it. And what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago was like you said, that that added feature that I, I, I didn't mention was that where it's, you're talking on the phone with someone that you know needs your help and you can just say, all right, you need an intro to this person, this person, this person, this person, and just fire it off. And nothing, there's no risk in that because you're just sending it to the person who needs the intro. Yeah. And if they don't act on it, and this goes completely with my ethos, is that we need founders to be able to take advantage of the opportunities in front of them. If you've got someone that's willing to provide you with intros yeah. to their trusted network, here you go. Here's the first step. Now it's up to you. Now it is up to you to present yourself in a way by writing this little blurb about why you want an intro to this other person. And it, it just fits so well in with everything. And, I learn, and, I, and I, I learn a lot about the founder when I do that as well. So going back to Chris mm. Adelsbachs, how, like he was voted UK Angel of the Year. People who don't know Chris, who's UK Angel of the Year, he's made over 150 angel investments. In my mind, he's Mr. Fintech. He grew a company to a 300 million exit. He ran Techstars, Fintech with Barclays. He's an amazing, if you're looking for Fintech angels, go to Chris Adelsbach. Um, but what Chris also is just so smart, he said, when he'd meet the founder in the very first call, so Chris would save time. He likes the founder, but he's not sure. It's the very first call. He's got the first data point. He said he will offer them three intros on the call, right? Then he sees how quickly the founders respond to that opportunity he gave them. He sees how much thought they put into the information, like, hey, I just want to meet Pete for coffee, you know, instead of like, hey, Pete, I know you run this amazing blog. I know you're also on the board of Coinbase, you know, all, the, all of this kind of stuff and what you do. And I saw, I read your article about this. I'd love to chat to you about this. So make it personal, make it more. He can see that. And then he can then, if they do a good job, and he forwards it on to those three other people who are probably angel investors as well, he can see, are they excited? Do they accept? Are they hit the client? No conflicts. I've got three companies in the space. Or I invested here before. It didn't work. Yeah. Whatever else. He gets that data point. And then he gets the feedback after the meet two weeks later. And then he finds out they're like, oh, I loved it. I'm going to invest as well. Are you investing? So he gets co-invest. He has build around. But more importantly, in that 30 minutes with that founder, he's given him opportunity He's also added value, and every VC and every investor is like, oh, we can add value, we got this network, blah, blah, blah. He gets off the call, the founder checks their inbox, there's three, there's three intros waiting for them from Chris. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, yeah, let me know how it can be helpful, that famous quote. And then, like, yeah, add me on LinkedIn and search my network. Like, you're just like, it's like a passive BS answer. It's a nothing burger from a, because, you know, venture, like, people in venture, want to have an option to invest usually they're like yeah 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 they want to sound nice and they're like yeah wait let, wait until sequoia's put in four million and then i'll put yeah. in my 100k beside you so they never want to fully say no and they were like seem helpful and say the right things whereas chris is actually standing up in the crowd because they've got three intros standing there and he's got all these data points coming back in on from other investors and he's winning allocation in the deal he that's the most important thing. he's winning allocation in the deal the founder loves him his brand's going to the roof even if he doesn't invest he's helped the founder so like there's apps and he's maybe helped those other angel investors as well because now harvard has shown that the best way to maintain relationships everyone's like oh i need to get a crm and i need to like download all my linkedin contacts put them into a spreadsheet rank them all and then say i'm going to stay in touch with everyone and you know that's great but it's out of date six months later because everyone's moved and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the best way to stay in touch with your network and to build relationships is to ask questions and not just like, hey, Pete, let's just catch up. Haven't spoken in six months where you get these automatic emails from people and you know they've got a little CRM going. Where instead of like, hey, Pete, I met this founder who's in the Web3 space. See below what they wrote. 
if you want an introduction. And that's just, you're, you're like, oh, I haven't heard from Chris in five years. It's, Chris yeah. is thinking of me. He's, you know what I mean? So it win, you win there as well. And that's, so there's all these social dynamics, which are very nuanced, but actually humans are hyper aware of them. You know, and I think it's just fascinating for me from almost an anthropology, sociology point of view as well. We talk about ex, an expert in your market. It's actually the feelings and emotions that people have and the dynamics and the tiny calculations that are going in your head. How will I look when I send this to Chris? You know, I haven't spoken to Chris and I don't actually know Chris that well, but this could be a great way to build a relationship with Chris and blah, 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 by providing him value as well, by giving him a nice opportunity you've curated on a plate for Chris to look at, you know? Yeah. So. I know. And it, this reminds me of in what I wrote about last week in our newsletter was Danny Meyer, the restaurateur, and his wow. mantra of ABCD, always be connecting the dots. But he says the longer form version of that is always be collecting the dots yeah. so you can connect the dots. And collecting the dots means experiences, data, thoughts, feelings, memories, people, relationships, all of that. So, and, and it made me think about everything that I'm doing. I love that API analogy that you mentioned, connecting networks, but it is about collecting dots. Yeah, you need and to it, have that in your head, a mental model of the dots to connect as well, yeah. And Bridge helps me to connect the dots while I collect the dots, Yeah. okay? And, and that's, that's one of the biggest things for me. And, and this goes back into my heritage. My mom, she'll probably listen to this and she'll love this because she finds a way to connect everybody to Athol, Massachusetts which is the town in Massachusetts that she grew up in. Exactly. And she finds some way to do it yeah. and find some way to say, oh, you know this person and I know that person and I know that person. So I think I have a little bit of that in my blood. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's a... Uh, it's connector blood. I get up my mom and my granny and I look at my seven-year-old, she's now 11. She kind of has it too as well. She's standing in the hall of the school, just connecting the dots between people and just seeing the patterns. Oh, I know. Like yeah. I, I said to my daughter when she started secondary school, I said, listen, you're going to be in this this melting pot of, of kids from all different schools and that you but you have your great friends from your primary school and the best thing to do is try to make new friends but then connect your old friends with your new friends yeah and then your group of friends just gets bigger yeah and those relationships grow and i see her doing that which is awesome and, and another so and just, another thing that stuck with me around that when you talk about the Humans are complex in terms of the data, like sort of, yeah, birthday, you know, what school you went to, where you're from. I kind of remember the story. I'm terrible with names, by the way. I'm so bad with people's names, but I remember the stories. And I remember the stories are like where they're from. Like I always remember where you said you're from in mass. And, and, and you remember, people remember things differently. But one thing I remember Paul Hayes speaking about, I think it was a presentation skill. I think it was Paul Hayes said this or someone like that. Paul Hayes from Beach Hut. Beach Hut, yeah. He was a brilliant yeah, yeah. kind of communicator and storyteller and just connector with people. I think it was Paul said it, but I'll give him the credit anyway, because it really read, stuck with me, was people won't remember what you said. Like, we, we remember how we met and the 12 intros, I can't remember that, and I can't remember a lot of other things, but you remember forever how they made you feel. And actually, that's what gets imprinted. Oh, Chris seemed like a good guy. Pete seemed like a good guy or seemed nice or seemed trustworthy. Or it's like these simple words. So you, even on demo day for founders, when we coach them how to present and pitch, people won't remember what they said six months later. Go, like, oh, yeah, that founder seemed, I liked that founder or I, that resonated with me. I can't remember exactly why. They'll remember the emotional connection. And that actually never has left me because I remember people like, like, do you know something? I was like, yeah. 
Like someone asked me last month, there was a guy at TripAdvisor, Lars Hulsman, I think. He set up TripAdvisor's office in Dublin. And I can't remember anything we, any conversation we had. I can't remember where we met or anything like that. But I remember having a really good feeling about him. And yeah. I actually was able to make that connection as well. And he obviously had that memory about me because he was like, oh, how are you getting on? I'm back in Boston, blah, blah, blah. And I was able to make that connection. And that was 10 years later. So it's these emotional connections also. And they never get written down as well. But it's just like, who could be the person that has that emotional signal? Do you know what I mean? If you're looking to hire someone, the back channel reference checks and, and all that. And, and we've talked about bridge and the connection side, but the other part that I love is you can share your network with someone now as well. So mm. the founder can actually be proactively browsing the web. They can hit Sequoia's website or Benchmark's website, like I hit that accountant's website. And Bridge will show you like, hey, Pete's sharing his network with you. He's made those 12 intros and he's sharing his 4,000 connections with you. And he actually knows six people at the website you're looking at right now. And that allows the founder then to reach out to me as well. So I can only be on a call with you once a year, let's say for half an hour, an hour. Yeah. Uh, but I can be with you 24-7 as you browse the web and you can see, oh, Connor knows someone there. You can just ping me then and it gives us, like you can ping me a message on WhatsApp, whatever else. Connor, I see, you seem to know Chris Adelsbach. Tell me more. I'm like, yeah. I'll be like, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Awesome. Like, he's amazing. You, um, you, you've, ju you've just reminded me of something. A founder that's coming into our class and that's starting on March 11th asked for an intro to someone at PayPal. And in my mind, I thought of one person initially who wasn't able to, to help. And so I said, well, you know what? Let's go find someone else. But actually, if I just go into Bridge, I'm going to be connected with someone at PayPal. Yeah. Right. And I will find someone that has a good level of trust either with me already or through a second degree connection that will help me to get that done. So I'm going to do that today. But on, on that point of thinking about this from an investing perspective, like I just am here, are there things that you have learned through building bridge that you wish you knew when you were running Techstars in Berlin? I'm always thinking about this, the stuff I'm learning now in the last couple of years, I'm applying to the next class. But are there things that you look back and say, oh, if I knew that, this might have happened or that might have happened? It's almost the other way around. It's almost like the Techstars experience really informed the bridge experience. And I'm still almost processing okay. it. So, for example, like a Techstars of a company now that's being offered you know, north of 100 million in acquisition. And like their breakout client was an introduction that I was able to make back in the day. And I'm like, oh, wow. So even within bridge, we don't show this today. But... I know that that intro became like a million dollar a year customer. So like even just putting like, hey, we made the intro, the feedback, everyone was happy. Be able to put the outcome of that, which I know now later because of Techstars, how could I capture that in Bridge? How could I actually put into Bridge that okay. was a that was a one million dollar introduction, or that other introduction was a ten million Series A, or that introduction was a, actually a co-founder came from that as well. That so they got their first big customer, they got a co-founder, and and then other ones came through the mentors. The mentors I know made an introduction to another customer. Do you know what I mean? So how can I start actually putting the value on that, and not just saying like, oh, Pete's awesome. Pete added like $96 million worth of value to his portfolio in the last quarter or the last year or the last two years. So it's almost like I'm constantly seeing how the network unfolds because you need hindsight to see how it unfolds. And I'm like, how can we add that back into bridge? So, but I think a data hug informed a lot of my experiences and teachings at Techstars. And then I think bridge is then trying to implement a lot of those things I shared with founders and I'm trying to do myself. So a few of them, where I can talk about like the tactics that are, I think are timeless that I taught at Techstars or still share with Techstars founders when I mentor that I try and apply every day to bridge. So I'm still processing the ideas and lessons from Datahug and from Techstars into bridge 
and I haven't, and I've probably made enough mistakes in Bridge, but I haven't processed all of them yet where I would love to, you know, in the future, go back into a tech series and do a debrief and then almost share that back with the founders. So I'm still processing lessons from Datahug and tech series and applying them into Bridge, I would say. Yeah. What were some of those timeless things that you, you think that going from Techstars, building Bridge, recognizing things happening on a day-to-day basis in Bridge, but what what are some of those timeless things that you would look to see in founders or that you yeah. would share with founders on do more of or do less of? So like the first one that comes to mind, I think it was a workshop I might've done, you know, around the four steps of the epiphany, but mm. It, the workshop is called, and it's actually inspired by Jens Lipinski, who's the reason I joined Techstars, along with John Bradford, actually. And I look at the network history of how I met and got in. So I saw Jens, who's a brilliant, is a brilliant managing director because he's a brilliant, he's a PhD in biochemistry, and he can just see complex systems and make them really simple and explain stuff really simple. It's his superpower. And I think what Jens it runs Angel Invest now, a fund in Berlin, writing 100K checks. But what Jens kind of identified was premature scaling. He saw his companies fail because of premature scaling. When I remember watching his workshop, I was just seeing data hug through the eyes of that workshop. And I was like, okay, I ultimately failed to achieve the vision because we got a lot of premature scaling wrong. So that's premature scaling is doing things that you might have learned from bigger companies or you see later stage companies doing and thinking you need to apply that to your company today. And the classic example of that is I'm hiring a VP of sales. When I hear a startup saying, I'm hiring a VP of sales, I'm like, wait a second, do you have a salesperson? No. Okay, do you have leads coming the door that you can't handle? No. Okay, welcome to premature scaling. I did this, you spend 150 grand on hiring, 60 grand on a recruiter, and you do that two or three times, spend loads of time, and you don't have leads coming in for them. You haven't figured out the sales process yourself. You haven't figured out selling. So, So that's the first one, premature scaling around, and it's typically doing things too far to the right and doing them now and they're expensive, they slow you down. So so that's the first, and there's a whole workshop on that, and I have it in my blog, conormurphy.blog, and you can see there's a whole workshop of that if you want a deeper dive into how to avoid premature scaling and killing your startup. Then some very simple tactical things. I meet founders even before Techstars. They're like, I want to be a founder, and I got this idea, blah, 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 and I just... There's this amazing book by Rob Fitzpatrick called The Mom Test. So if you're listening to this and you're exploring an idea, and you you know it's a very short book, takes about 40 minutes to read, but it's a great insight. And it's basically, and this is why I apply this to Bridge. It basically says, you know, when I'm asking you for feedback, Bridge, I'm like, uh, I mean, Pete, I'm like, Pete, I have this idea for Bridge, blah, blah, blah. And you meet people and you tell them I have this idea. And naturally, again, human psychology, you know, anthropology, how we react. I just met you. I don't want to offend you. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's really cool, Pete. Yeah, no, no, you should go there. Keep me updated. Yeah, let, if, you know, sure, let me know. Yeah, and founders who get these happy years. Everyone really likes what I'm doing, especially some angel investors. I'm going to quit my job and do it tomorrow. Simple little pivot on it's positioning rather than pivoting. Keep your idea the same. But when I'm chatting to you, Pete, I say, oh, my friend Chris Adelsback has this idea. So it's not your idea. Ah, you, t- you, don't, you take you good. out of the equation and you, and you tell the idea and you're like, Connor, your friend Chris is an idiot. Like that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Like inside you're bawling, crying, but you're getting this honest feedback. So at the start, when I started Bridge, I never told anyone, I, I only recently put on LinkedIn that I actually am the founder of Bridge. So I was using Bridge and you know, coding up the first version of it and getting the really hacky MVP version of it out there. And I'd start seeing, would, would people start accepting the introductions and forwarding the introductions and giving feedback? And what would, would they feel like there's a tool in here or something like that? And I didn't tell anyone it was me. They'd be like, what is this thing? And I'd see them signing up then, joining as well. So I was getting real feedback by not being a stealth startup, which I disagree with, but being an anonymous startup. It wasn't Connor's startup and Pete wasn't trying it because he's my buddy and blah, blah, blah. It was because it landed in your inbox. And I wanted to test virality. 
because we didn't have virality figured out a data hug and we did loads of PR and you get massive spikes and we did like VC funding now and you get massive spikes, did all churn. I was like, okay, this comes to the third point where people talk about building MVPs. The advice I give is there's a great blog post called long live the rat, the MVP is dead. And RAT yep. stands for riskiest assumption test. So we all you meet these founders with these amazing visions. And I had that at data, like data, we could chat for hours, give me the whiteboard, I could just do a whole beautiful mind all over the place. And VCs, everyone would love it, we're all excited. And that really works for VCs. They want to see the seven-year vision. But then you've got to build something tomorrow. And then so there's a seven-year vision, or as I think Des Trainer at Intercom talks about 666. If you're six-year kind of timeline for strategy. You know, your vision, six months is your strategy and six weeks is your tactics. So there's actually three different time horizons founders need to be able to jump between. So it's very good at the six year stuff, but it's like, what do I do in the next six weeks? And the risk assumption test is, okay, for all of this to happen, this amazing vision to happen, Pete needs to hit accept on that intro I offer him. So let's just get intros out to Pete and say, does he hit accept, fill out the information? Okay, that was assumption one. So 80% of the time, Pete would do that. Okay, cool. My target was 50%. And then, okay, now I'm going to forward it to the next person. Will they accept it? And the target was 50% and 90% of them accepted or declined it. And it's like, okay. So it's actually just what are the incremental steps in order that my whole life vision is based on. And if I can just go through these assumptions one by one in a very disciplined approach, that really helped me. And I apply that to bridge every day. And I say that to founders when they're like really good at the vision. I'm like, okay. Let's just focus on your riskiest assumptions and let's, let's figure out your roadmap for the next six, 12 weeks, particularly on something like tech series. So, and then the final kind of high level one, and Jens actually has adapted his workshop to be around this as well. And I fully agree with it is everyone talks about pivoting, but positioning is actually what needs to be done most of the time. You need to pivot your positioning, not your whole product and your code base. Yeah. And it's actually just like, if you, and that's what I think the value of tech series was when we we're doing the last part of tech series, people talk about its presentation skills and demo day. It's actually more about strategically figuring out how to position this thing right and how to get into the market right. So, for example, with Bridge, when I position it as intros, VCs hate it because they're like, it's niche, it's a little tactical thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, actually, that's the right thing for me to do as a company because I need to build up this little beachhead and grow from intros and get the connectors and grow out. And they don't like that incremental bottom up. They like this big vision of data hug. And that's understandable. But the right thing for the company for me was positioning this as like just an intro tool. Because marketing is so hard to do. Standing up in people's mind is so hard to do. It's like, well, what hashtag do you want to own? And it doesn't mean with data hug, I felt I was diluting my vision. Like, how dare we talk about something so narrow? We're creating this massive visionary thing. But actually, just owning the hashtag intros in people's mind is great. Like next, we want to we own the hashtag fundraising. And the next hashtag we want to own is prospecting. So we're like, go from the connectors, go to then the founders who are fundraising. And then when people are selling, when they're thinking, I need to get in the door, they're going to think of bridge because they can search your networks and find ways into the door. So I almost see it as like, how can we position it better to have more, you know, to have a better chance of getting those early power users and move on to the next group of power users and the next group of power users. So I see this as an incremental kind of thing. But it's often positioning and how to tell your story. And just, it's hard for me to do as a founder because I'm so close to Bridge. But the way hearing you describe Bridge is a way better. And that's what Texters does really well. Do the mentors, you pitch them your thing and they tell you back what they think they heard. And that's almost helping you understand positioning. And you're like, yeah, 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 it does do that. And they're like, well, just focus on that for maybe the first six months and not pivot and blah, blah, blah. And just be that boring, small niche feature, niche feature to get enough momentum to get you closer to your vision. So this positioning thing is something I applied as well. And they're kind of the high level ones that I kind of hark on about over and over again, but I hear in my head the whole time. And every time I make a big mistake in Bridge, it's because I've done some 
premature scaling. I've hired someone that I loved and was excited about before we had that role ready or we really needed that role. And, and that's probably, okay. you know, I, I, I still make some of those mistakes, but I, I hear them in my head every time I make a decision and I try and use that framework. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really love the reference to positioning because I, I think that's the way to position things really with founders is that when you say the word pivot, they think what you mean is that, okay, the product that you've built, you are completely selling it to the wrong market. You need to be pursuing this other market with that. And you need a whole new skin around this, perhaps yeah. a new U UX, but the core of what you've built is something that's really useful. Like when Alan Meany, when he built Fundrex, that was just a messaging system behind the scenes and that they said, listen, this isn't going to work for, for what it is. We need to find another use for it. But the tech that we've built is sound. Yeah. And when you talk to founders about pivoting and when I talk to founders about, listen, 10 of the 12 companies that go through Metro Madness generally come out of it in the shape of, hey, we've more or less confirmed the direction you're going. Let's just go faster. Two out, out of those 12 would be like, hey, actually, you know what? We're doing this all wrong. Yeah. We need a hard pivot. But like you said, much of the time, it's about positioning. It's about you are just not presenting yourself in the right way. And I don't mean that from the perspective of being up on stage and pitching your business. It's about how you talk about the customer group that you're going after. What is your beachhead? How are you actually going to get, get into that beachhead? And just making that point to VCs that that's not the everything. Us going after our first little wedge into the market is not our, our five to 10 year vision. That's just to get us going. And sometimes VCs look at the initial beachhead market like, I'm not interested in that market. Exactly. I'm not interested in that product. I'm not going to invest in that. It can be such a touchy subject. Just one other point, Connor. You have, by mentioning Des Trainer from Intercom, in the last few minutes, have just underscored this whole ethos of this is a very small world and the connections that we all have and these mental models that we all have and these things we're thinking about somehow do resonate across the airwaves where your brain cells and my brain cells were somehow connected a few minutes ago because I was listening to Des Trainer on Invest Like the Best this morning oh, wow. um, with Patrick O'Shaughnessy and I brought a couple of his snippets to this conversation that I wanted to mention that wow. I hadn't sent you when I sent you a few ideas to talk about this conversation or to think about this conversation. And one that you just mentioned was the, you know, the premature scaling. But what Des was talking about was kind of the, the other end of that, which is having too long of a runway. Yeah. And that he, he was referencing a founder conversation where that founder said to them, listen, we've got our product to market, we've grown, we started to scale. We now, with the revenue tap turned on and the funding, we have 72 months of runway. And his advice to that founder is like, do you really want to spend six years of your life or the best years of your life really doing this to prove that you can actually grow this into a $100 million business? Or how about you actually go and invest more in the business and you shorten that runway? And you actually really try to boom and scale this and take six to 12 months rather than 72 months to get this going. Do you ever see that when you're, you're talking to founders? I'm seeing that at the moment. I think there's a few founders who raised money in two, 2021, maybe into the early parts of 22. And you see their investor updates and like, like 48 months of runway. And I'm like, oh, I would kill for that. Cause I, I know what I want to build and all that kind of stuff for the 48 months. And 
it's like here's a picture of us having lunch and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff and there's no sense of urgency there as well it like so the founders kudos like if they still have when i meet founders what i'm looking for is motivation and if they're mm. highly motivated and this is like the missionary style founder and this is what they really care about you know i'd be less concerned over that and i think it's a good problem to have and i'm jealous of those founders who have it you know but I don't see it too much and it's obviously the system went a bit crazy and people are getting 15 million investments, you know, pre-product market fit. I think pre-product market fit, you know, having constraints drives innovation and no better constraint than running out of cash uh, and having a short runway. And uh, that really helps you prioritize and focus. And like one of the hardest things in a startup is not ideas, it's what to work on next. And that really focuses the mind when you're running out of cash and you see the innovation really um, spike up. You can see why fundraising rounds have traditionally been 18 months kind of in period. I do think there's an evolution of that with rolling rounds and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of something I've adopted with Bridge versus Data Hug, which I think has been quite beneficial. But, you know, time will tell on that. But ultimately, yeah, some people, I've seen another startup where they raised 100 million. I think their their revenues were like 4 million and something like 3 million of that was just interest. So like they were actually kind of profitable based on interest and stuff like that. I'm like, well, okay, this is probably not what the system wanted to happen. But, you know, again, I'd probably be on the side of the pro-founders, but I don't think it's good news for the investors. And I think the Des's point, founders need to figure out when to accelerate. And for me, that's really go slow until product market fit, not go like iterate fast but keep the team small and lean on product market fit. And then there's scaling. So there's premature scaling and there's scaling. So like if you hit a point of scaling, like go, 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 you've it figured out and you've it locked in and you need that cash. You need to go fast. Like there's a company I invested in there. They grew, they grew MRR 99% last month and we're like, wow. holy crap. And like the product market fit is really coming in and we're like, holy crap, this could be a rocket internet style thing where it's a geographic, local geographic play. We're like, we might need to need, like we get this working in two more, geographies then the play is like we need to raise money to do the exact same thing in 20 geographies at the exact same time and go absolutely crazy but it depends on every company every situation but i think they kind of are dialing in product market fit and the market's proving that and their growth is proving that and that's the point where you just want to go hell for letter and but they need to the the assumption is they only have it working in two small markets if they can make it work in the third market then we probably have enough data points to show like hey it works in three separate markets let's you know, the assumption is proven. And every time you prove an assumption, going back to the riskiest assumption test, you increase the value significantly. So on that point, will money help them prove their assumptions faster? And the sooner the the startup that learns the fastest is ultimately the one that usually wins. And cash can make you too comfortable. Totally. totally. You got to embrace the downside. The downside can feed you. So yeah, not like not like being hungry, you know, to drive creativity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. This gets us to the point of our chat where I do like to ask the final question that my friend Owen Fitzgerald came up with when he was back doing this podcast with me. And we've asked it for, for everybody pretty much that's come onto the show. But what is one thing that people would not expect to know about you, Connor Murphy? I think based on when I tell people how annoyed they get when I say this, I, I, I think this is the answer. Uh, basically, I'm an introvert, uh, and that usually surprises people or they, they don't believe in that when I talk about networks and connections and all that kind of stuff. And I can explain why in a second, but I think curiosity is what makes me act like an extrovert. So I'm very curious. I love knowing how stuff works, how people work, why you did that, why you taught that, why you said that, why you asked that question. Like I used, my teachers used to 
probably hate me and you know you know kids who are usually in trouble were sent down you know brought to the front of the class i was usually sent on the back of the class so i could ask less questions so i'd be up the front and i just like hijacked the class and i just like asked 600 questions and i just couldn't get enough of it i was put in the hallway yeah so i'd always be asking questions and it's it's not in the definition of introversion why i say that introversion is you know how you recharge your batteries it's not how you you act so if you're tired and you're coming home do you like sit in the couch and you know, not chat to anyone for two days on, 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 on over the weekend? Or do you jump on the phone and ring your sister or your friend and you start chatting to them to re-energize? So I could go to something like Web Summit or anything like that or any of these big networking events and then just have an explosion of curiosity in an amazing two, three days. And then I would just like sleep for a week, two weeks and not talk to anyone. So, so that's really the one that surprises the most people. And then the second is I absolutely love product, but I never want to see your product when you're pitching me. Uh, I want to hear about you, okay. about your motivation. Founders like, let me show you the product. I'm like, I don't want to see it. Don't show it to me, because I, because I believe if I understand your motivation and the market and everything else, like I'm so I love product that I think that's something we can always solve with enough time and money. But I know market is the bigger risk, and then the other big risk for me at early stage is the team, because you know there is the analogy. Someone said you're investing in the jockey, not the horse, because the horse doesn't even exist. Yeah. So for me, it's really I want to understand this founder. Uh, and I, I don't want to just invest in that founder financially. I want to spend, you know, 52 weeks, like that Techstars mentoring model, 52 weeks, half an hour a week, chatting to them on WhatsApp, async, helping out. And that really means, you know, do I like them? Do I find them interesting? Do they think they're coachable? All that kind of stuff as well. But I love product and that's probably where my strongest point is. But I don't want to see your product or talk about product until much later. Yeah, no. And, and I do get that sense of you and, and not terribly surprised to hear that you're an introvert. Because I, I was imagining you were about to say something to the effect of, yeah, that you go to a big, when you go to a big event, yeah, you do need a few days to recover from that because you recharge yourself. Yeah. I go to those events to, to recharge. Yeah. So you're an extrovert. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I need that to fuel it. And I love, you know, engaging with 25, 30 founders in one go. And that is my way of recharge. So that week one in Dublin coming up on March 11th. I'm very eagerly anticipating that because I will be recharging by going that week and spending that with those founders. I, I love you know? Techstars, but I just found it so like absolutely draining because mm -hmm. like you're meeting, you know, it's just like so, so emotionally draining actually, because you build such great connections with people. You care so much about them and their success and all the mentors, you want to make sure everyone has a great experience. And I like facilitating and hosting groups and bringing people together. I love, I, I get such a buzz from that. Like, you talk about the feedback of Bridge. I was just making coffee this morning. I got a pop-up. Someone just gave me feedback saying we had an awesome meeting. We're going to meet again. It just gave me so much joy to see these two people I know who are actually both Irish and Lisbon. They're going to hang out and they had a good time meeting together. Just gives me a great buzz. And that, that, that gives me a lot of joy. But I don't need to be in the room with them when that happens. Do you know what I mean? But that curiosity helps me probably connect better because I... I can sometimes I can't even explain why I think two people should meet. I can't even remember why, but I, I get really strong feelings that like Pete and Chris would really get on and should meet, which is absolutely which is a dopamine hit for me. And I think other connectors as well. They just get such identity from connecting. They get such joy from connecting. But it's not a recognized role, actually. There's not very few places where you paid to connect. And actually, Techstars, when I joined, the first OKR was strengthen the power of the Techstars network. And I was bringing yep. people together and connect people. I was like, wow. It was the best job ever. I absolutely loved working there. I loved the organization. And I kind of joke now for organizations who care about their community, who care about their networks, who care about bringing people together, I want to be your outsourced CTO. I want to give you the platform, 
to do that better, to do that smarter and to create more serendipity. Like that's kind of my religion. That's my totally. drug. And if I can foster that or our technology can help foster other people who do that, we want to help those connectors and those networkers and bring them together. Connect the dots. Absolutely. Yeah. A B I love that ABCD. I'll be using yeah. that. Always yeah. be connecting the dots. Exactly. Always be closing as well. Right. Which yeah. is what we're doing right now. Exactly. So listen, Connor, it was fantastic talking through all of this. And it gave me probably another 10 reasons why I want to have another 10 conversations with you at some point in the future. We won't do them all this year and perhaps no. not next year, but I'd say they're going to happen again relatively soon. So thank you so much. Like, like money, networks never sleep. They just grow and compound in value. And, you know, if you get your money into the right ISA or whatever else, it compounds. And for me, the most, you know, I think was it Warren Buffett or someone said the most beautiful thing in the world is compound interest. Yep. I actually would argue the network and the compounding effects of your network. I think of those people you knew at 20 and look where they all are now and how successful they are and all the, all the locations they're in and think of their networks. And like on average, we see like in Bridge, everyone has about 4,000 unique connections. And you start bringing together 10, 20, 30 people to trust each other and sharing their networks. The compounding effects there are just phenomenal. And even just here, the conversation, both of us getting ideas from each other. This is how humans innovate. They come together, they bump into each other, uh, they swap ideas. One idea triggers another idea. This is how we drive innovation as well. And it's, it's super exciting. And it's, I think it's the future of work as we're going to be more remote, but we're going to have more time thanks to AI to focus on more innovation and more creativity and doing that with other people. So it's actually the future is going to be more human in, in a way is my view in the whole AI kind of space. Absolutely. Relationships make the world go round. I hear you. They do. They make it fun too. Thank you, Connor. Great chatting, Pete. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Connor Murphy for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. You can learn more about Connor and Bridge on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. We'll do a deeper dive into the output of this conversation in our Money Never Sleeps newsletter on Substack. So check that out on moneyneversleeps.substack.com and subscribe. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps others to find the show. Also, thanks to Kona Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Kona is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3, and I lead the Techstars Web3 Accelerator. There are plenty of links in the show notes on moneyneversleeps.ie on how to get in touch, so don't hesitate to reach out. Finally, until next time, thanks for listening. See ya! Money never sleeps, pal. 